The Complex is sponsored by James Ochoa's book, Focused Forward, Navigating the Storms of Adult ADHD, and his training, Professional Trailblazing, a new roadmap for treating adults with ADHD. And I got a frog in my throat. Hold on. <coughs> that West Texas dust. Hold on. Okay. You can find these as well as James's virtual brainstorming Q&A meetups for adults with ADHD, ADHD Town Hall, on his website, jamesochoa.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Afterthoughts. We're going to be doing Afterthoughts for Episode 5 today of Season 2. I've got James right across the computer remotely this time from me. Um, here in Episode 5, we had Bernard starting to show a little bit of his mm -hmm. aging, right? Yes, so, yes. Um, <laughs> we had some confusion with the rest of the people in the complex of whether this was ADHD whether this might be something else. Mm -hmm. It was kind of hinted at dementia, potentially. Um, all of this is going to be talked about today between James and I, and I think it's going to lend for a very, very good discussion between us. So, James, the first thing that I want to touch on today mm -hmm. is something that we've already touched on a little bit in the last Afterthoughts, which was ADHD as you age, ADHD right. through the ages, right? Um we know that this changes from, you know, age range to age range. Um, right, however, right. I want to specifically focus on ADHD as you get older. So past your 50s, past your 60s, as you start to get into this more, um, I get what could, what we could call elderly age, well, right? You get into um, the, yeah, you get into the decline. Right, right. I, I don't as, want to label that, but right, right. Um, <laughs> seeing as I'm 60 now, I'm a little sensitive to this space. <laughs> sure, sure, yes. Um, so, what does ADHD start to look like as you get older? How? What can somebody expect as they? Um, age with ADHD? Well, you know, this is something that's come about uh, really over the last 30 years as we've really recognized uh, the adult ADHD spectrum and kind of watching it or monitoring it. And certainly I've talked uh, at length about before that it's a developmental condition. So it looks different at different ages. But with that said, you also have risk factors. Uh, and in fact, if uh, folks want to go look up uh, Russell Barkley's recent talk in the last couple of years, uh, who is the neuropsychologist that uh, does an enormous amount of research in the field of ADHD. You know, he's identified and really looked at in a meta-analysis of nine risk factors within ADHD and how those progress across the lifespan. Um, so that's one way to consider, you know, how is my ADHD going to be disruptive to me? How big are those mm -hmm. risk factors, anything from addiction to career interruptions to health or legal-related issues. All these things are risk factors that cause challenges within the ADHD spectrum. And that's more behavioral and kind of life-oriented. But then you also have the kind of the, the mental, emotional, neurological part of it, which has a lot to do, you know, are you on the hyperactive, impulsive spectrum? Uh, has that still continued to be a challenge in your life? Because uh, we do know the hyperactive, impulsive spectrum, like, uh, declines with age, and most of that I think is physiology mm -hmm. of just not being able to do 
that much, you know, movement or uh, some of that slowing down occurs just in a natural aging process, changes the hyperactive impulsive spectrum. We do know that the inattentive focus concentration motivation part continues uh, to be more of a longevity issue and continues to be challenging uh, into the um, uh, older years of a person's life, say 50, 60, 70. Um, and so a lot of it depends on your symptomology of the genetics of kind of how your ADHD looks. You know, do you have just a hyperactive impulsive type? Is yours combined type where it's both focus, concentration, motivation, and hyperactive impulsive? Or is it just mm-hmm. inattentive? And then, like I said, you could look through the nine major risk factors that uh, Russell Barkley has identified that you could easily find. He said some great talks on Attitude webinar um, site that really look at, you know, those factors in life and kind of what happens for adults with ADHD. And it's, you know, it's a pretty significant picture on the uh, potential impact on someone's life course. Uh, even yeah. life expectancy. So I don't know if that does that help answer the question a little bit about what happens for individuals or what what it may yeah, look like. Yeah, I think so. C- could you elaborate a little bit more on uh, the hyperactive impulsive and how that actually, you know, uh, I think you said um, changes or or yeah. uh, kind of we we see that it can drop off some. Okay, so it means you may not be as hyperactive or quite as impulsive. Um, but you know, I could take my, my beautiful self, uh, as a, as an example, because I'm a very hyperactive impulsive on the ADHD spectrum. Um, and for those who remember focus, you know, what I said in focus forward that I also had a closed head injury at four. So I still think I have some impulsive related challenge around, uh, my executive function as a result of that history in childhood. But I still when you get to hyperactive impulsive in aging, it may wane some, but it, there's still a risk factor of like chasing shiny objects, of evaluating things too quickly and making decisions too quickly. Uh, and so those things can, can certainly, if certainly continue to happen for me. And I've had to use my pods of support around me, my strategies to kind of have checks and balances on spending money or, uh, you know, going after wanting to do something too quickly without really having thought it Mm -hmm. out well enough. And so, uh, you know, for some, that hyperactive piece can wane because I don't physically have the effort anymore, Uh, but it can still be problematic at times. And every individual is a little different based on their risk factors. So if a person has set up really good strategies in their life and really good systems that they have uh, to kind of take them into aging uh, like I remember uh, one individual I worked with who uh, retired from her career in her early 60s. She owned a business. She sold it. She had enough money to live the rest of her life, and she thought she'd be fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but two or three years later, she was just in all kind of uh, emotional storms and distress. Um, didn't really recognize she had ADHD. It was her granddaughter who had, uh, was diagnosed, who said, hey, Grandma, I think I know what's going mm. on for you. Um, <laughs> and in her looking at that, she lost the structure and the routine of her career. Right. And when she lost that, her ADHD symptoms got much worse. Well, mm-hmm. she went to hiring a personal assistant for five or ten hours a week just to help her with details and follow through with things. 
and she lived a much happier life. She really didn't need much more treatment than that in understanding her ADHD. So right. I think it's it's relatively specific to individuals, but um, so the hyperactive impulsive stuff can wane. It can still be a problem depending on the degree of severity you had it growing up. Yeah, so I think that's actually a really nice segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which was actually ADHD getting confused with other conditions, yeah. um, perhaps overlapping, perhaps, you know, getting sh- overshadowed or masked by a different condition or vice versa. Right. Um, so real quick, I actually want to go play a clip from the episode of Bernard being a little confused before the therapy session. So let's go hear that. Bernard? Holy damn distractions. I can't do this today. I'm leaving. Wait. Hold on. Whoa, Bernard. What's going on? Well, no, I'm not leaving. I can't go back home. Not with that spy thing beeping at me. (gasps) Spy thing? Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's just sit down and talk about this for a second. Bernard, you sound upset. Something doesn't seem right. Well, of course I'm upset. I don't know about y'all, but that blinking red light has made me about lose the will to live. And then those beeps in an out-of-tune A-flat of all tones to pick. One minute I think it stopped, the next moment it doesn't. No wonder I can't sleep in that apartment. Bernard, what are you talking about? What am I talking about? You pretend you don't know. You're the one that set it up, after all. There's one in every room. You know what I'm talking about. But we don't. I mean, maybe we could help you if you could just tell us. Y'all pretend it's not happening, but when your landlord comes into your house and puts his spy equipment on our ceilings and it Bernard, Bernard, I didn't put anything in your ceiling. Jules, are you absolutely sure? What? Yes, I'm sure. Oh, I get it. So y'all think I'm a crazy old man, do you? You'll find out. Bernard, can you hear this beeping right now? Well, I'm not in my apartment, but I can't imagine it stopped. Bernard, why don't we take a little field trip? Let's go to your apartment and see if we can hear that beeping. So we kind of see this with Bernard, right? He may or may not have dementia as he's getting older. Um, and right at the end of the episode, we we hear Ramon say, you know, how do we know the difference between his ADHD and his dementia? Right. Um, that kind of brings up a question of, well, do we even need to know the difference? Um, or is it just kind of like, we take it as it is. Uh, we keep trying to develop uh, strategies as much as we can in relation to the symptoms we're seeing um, mm-hmm. and, and just kind of go from there. What, what's the best way to approach something like that? Well, with anything, certainly around the ADHD spectrum, we have a multifaceted perspective going on here. Uh, because within dementia, which is a separate neurological decline or difficulty than ADHD itself, ADHD can uh, complicate that because there's a lot of symptomology that is similar or akin to the dementia space regarding memory and forgetfulness and uh, being impulsive at times or emotionally reactive. But it really comes down to assessment-related spaces for people who uh, think they may have issues with dementia or they wonder if it's ADHD, because within the ADHD spectrum, you're certainly going to get a life 
history review that's going to see symptoms or having had symptoms and patterns that would have been there through childhood. That's not so true necessarily for dementia. Uh, and you may begin seeing dementia certainly as early as 40s or 50s in early onset um, uh, neurocognitive decline. But the vast majority of folks with dementia start having different processing issues of memory uh, related to um, uh, recall and other types of things that, again, it's going to be more of a neuropsychologist or a neurologist testing, looking at the difference between differences between the symptomologies of dementia and those of ADHD and being able to parcel or pull those apart. I say it multifaceted to begin with because when you look at treating memory-related problems or uh, confronting someone who forgets something often, okay, those could be very similar in perspectives regarding how you help to uh, manage or support someone who has those problems. So if someone's got memory problems, you know, telling them to try harder or remember more, or <laughs> if they could just pull themselves up by their boot, is not helpful. Actually, the stress right. of that confrontation can make memory worse. And so I mean, that's even rarely with, helpful with people with ADHD, right? Right, <laughs> so. right. And so that distress of feeling like someone is, you know, on me or someone is, uh, mad at me or uh, frustrated versus someone who's compassionate, someone who's empathetic with, okay, these are challenges that are going on. This is affecting the whole family system. We need to do something about it. Okay. How do we strategize? How do we personally look at changes we can make to support the process? And so with much of it, the compassion and empathy is a most critical factor uh, for others mm -hmm. around the individuals. Um, so certainly there's similarities between dementia and ADHD, and they certainly can occur together. But I think a support of them regarding strategies or the compassion and empathy that's needed is very similar in the process of supporting or helping uh, either condition. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, I want to go back to the episode really quick and play mm -hmm. a clip of um, Amanda actually showing some empathy towards Bernard and, and kind of reframing this whole scenario uh, with the complex, because I think it's a really yeah, gorgeous example of exactly what you were just talking about. So let's go listen to that. Wait, but is he even old enough for dementia? I mean... He's 73. He's actually too old for early onset Alzheimer's, but we might be able to get him into a clinical trial at the medical school. Hold on. Bernard is a person, not a science project. And he's our friend, even when he's acting weird. I mean, he must feel weird. I bet he's really confused. Confused, terrified, sad. Neuropsychologist boyfriend Richard Yang should be consulted on this issue. He will help. He's not afraid of big emotions. Okay, so here we see Amanda kind of reframing the situation, saying Bernard is our friend, right? He's not this this research that mm -hmm. we're doing. We, we can't just treat him like um, some kind of, you know, thing we don't care about. Um, right. I think that's really, really important not even just for uh, people going through dementia, but someone who has ADHD in their life in general. If you are someone with 
a significant other or a child or a mm-hmm. uh, a family member with ADHD, I think this kind of reframing of saying, look, they're actually going through a really, really hard time right now. Even if I don't know what that is, let me try and be a little empathetic to that so that I can, you know, support them as best I can to have them be successful like we all want. Um, I think that is something we've kind of talked about here in Afterthoughts a lot. uh, And I think it's something really nice to reiterate here with the example of Amanda. Well, I think it's critical because, again, you don't want to ever lose sight of the compassionate human relational factor of an individual. And certainly like something with dementia, um, it's so helpful sometimes because many people recall old memories or music or other kinds of things in unusual or different fashions. And so you can support them in those kind of ways of kind of what they can remember. Uh, but within the ADHD spectrum, right? The empathy and compassion is critical because family members, friends, those around the individuals diagnosed with ADHD can really run into things uh, known as compassion fatigue and just overwhelm Mm. and frustration. And so the family members, the individuals around the person need to take care of themselves. Certainly the person with ADHD uh, needs to do a lot of self-care and take care of themselves. But the compassionate approach is so much more effective. I cannot say enough about it because typically from a behavioral point of view or a logic point of view, someone around the individual with ADHD says, I don't understand why you're doing that. That's just uh, ludicrous or that's irrational Uh, because it, it was a neurological difference or a deficit or challenges where it came from. It wasn't from behavioral logic. They weren't necessarily thinking about what they did before they did it. And they, yes, they can create a strategy to help them with that. But a compassionate approach that is more curious and observant with someone with ADHD. So family members, people around them being able to say things like, okay, I didn't quite understand how these fit together. Tell me, Mm -hmm. uh, this seemed to be going too fast for you, or these are the kind of what were you thinking or can I help you kind of strategize or kind of think this out? Cause that must be really hard. Uh, that must be yeah. really difficult that that happened to you, right? Those kinds of ways can help, uh, soften or feel someone, uh, who has ADHD or someone even who has dementia, right? They feel more cared for. They feel more nurtured and connected with versus, uh, distress or confronted. And, uh, we all know the reactive distress of ADHD known as uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria, the RSD by Dr. Dodson mm-hmm. in Colorado, which actually creates a lot of the emotional distress syndrome that I treat and talk about. I mean, that gets set off so easily for people with ADD when they feel so frustrated or difficult because someone is questioning them again in a way that feels confrontive. So obviously I've got some passion around this piece with, with relationship, (laughs) but I really get into it because it's, it's still such a high difficult mark. And I think it's one of the very top things that needs to be managed and understood within the world of ADHD. Yeah. So I kind of want to poke at this a little bit. I bet you do. It's not, it's, it's not (laughs) to trigger anyone or, or, you know, cause any kind of, uh, 
emotional distress here, but I think it's something that uh, is really important to talk about in this space. So I think something that can come out of all of this is a kind of victimology for the person with ADHD. They themselves might always feel like the victim, like something's always happening to them. It's always, you know, centered on them. And for someone who is in relationship with an individual with ADHD, it might feel like that person is always blaming their ADHD for all these things that uh, they might think that you can just suck up and do right or 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 change or why don't you just x y and z right um that conversation we've we've talked a little bit about this prior um but what are some ways for the individual with adhd because i think we've talked a lot about the person in relationship with those with adhd what are some ways for the person with adhd to resource themselves in these situations uh, to make it feel less like they are a victim or make it feel, you know, less like they have to, to, you know, do, um, I'm trying to avoid well, no. the term of blaming the ADHD, but, well, but no, you, you but get you're, what I mean. I, I do get what you mean. And it's, uh, you know, you always, Jules, you're very good at picking out, you know, the million dollar questions in the ADHD <laughs> spectrum. Uh, meaning that the things that really become problematic and difficult, and one of them is ADHD is an excuse. You know that it's a, yeah. it's a my ADHD caused me to do that, or I'm not responsible for it. Which is, if you know any of my philosophy, that's, that's the furthest the furthest thing from the truth. The more you know about your ADHD, the more you're responsible for it long term. Right. How do you handle it when you feel like you're uh, a very easy target, or you're more disruptive than others? So. Uh, the confrontation yeah. or the need to talk about things is more often. And this is an insidious issue that goes on for ever in a lot of ways on the ADHD spectrum because it doesn't go away. Um, I'll just use my, you know, myself as an example again. It's a very easy example mm-hmm. sitting right in front of me. Sure. Uh, that <laughs> happens on an ongoing basis, which is when I feel that victim issue or I feel like I'm being picked on or I feel like, oh, I, here I get on the target. I first, before this whole process, right, I would have wanted to continue to support and surround myself with what I call over-planning self-care, whether it's micro-meditations or breathing or do things to take care of myself so that I'm resourced in situations where I feel like that starts to happen. When I recognize those feeling states in me, my strategy right now is to pause and stop. And if I'm in conjunction uh, with my dear wife Edie at my long-term marriage or with a friend, I'll say, hey, let me think about this a minute. Let me just stop because I'm feeling like I'm the problem or I feel like I'm the target. And I, I know that I don't believe that I am. It just feels like that. Give me, give me a few minutes. And so I will take a time to stop and say, okay, what am I responsible for here? What did get thrown off in the situation yeah. that I could have done differently? Now, that may look strange to some other people in that I might go into my office, my home office, I might close the door, and I might literally have a conversation out loud with myself and say, yeah. okay, what happened here, James? Let's look at what occurred. Now, what am I respond? And I can work that through if I can pause myself and slow down 
So mm-hmm. when I'm feeling like I'm the target, another one that happens for me, how probably happens for a lot of people with ADHD, is I start feeling confused. And as soon mm-hmm. as I start feeling confused, I know that something is not in alignment. Either I've had an emotional reaction that I need to settle, or uh, there's a piece of information that I wasn't aware of that I need to get clear about, but I stop again. So I have my target feeling states when those things happen that I stop myself. Um, and I try to, I work at resetting. And at the very least, I tell many of my couples or folks in relationship with those with ADHD, it's like help them say, yeah, go take some time, slow down. Let's just pause yeah. this for a minute. Because brains that overactivate like that, uh, the distress downhill approach, it just gets worse over time is just horrific. It's just not good at all. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today, James. I hope that everybody got a lot out of that episode. We will be having the last episode, episode six, next week. I hope you all enjoy that, and we'll hear from James again here in about two weeks for the afterthoughts of episode six. In the meantime, if you want to check out more resources of James, you can see that on jamesochoa.com or you can follow him on all of the social medias. Um, Thank you, James, again for being with us today, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day. The Complex is produced and directed by Jules Ochoa and co-written by Jules Ochoa and Robin Schultzenoff. Amanda was played by Marina Dewey Pedraza. Ramon Berkowitz, a.k.a. Genius Boy, was played by Noel Gollum. Jessica was played by Robin Gray Soto. Bernard was played by Tom Doyle. Crispy was played by John Brickley. Jade was played by Gus Dexheimer. Jules Ochoa played Jules. And James Ochoa played himself. (laughs) 